Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the leaders who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to anticipate the future, recognize macro trends, and champion innovation in their organizations. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, this is the right place because this is where the best run. I always tell you that, and I mean it, and it's true. What? Oh, we got a lot of noise in the background here. Let's see if we can quiet that down. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Emily Machar. You won't believe where I got this quote from SmithsonianMag.com in an article she wrote about innovation. Listen up. This will be news to all of you. Researchers have recently coined the term enclothed cognition. Let me spell that first word, E-N-C-L-O-T-H-E-D, enclothed cognition, to describe the impact that clothes have on our mood and our health. Well, who knew? So let's talk about what our topic is today. You go into a store. You're looking for a specialty department. We're talking department store. You know brick and mortar. Remember, you might have a couple of those locally or in the mall. Well, you say to somebody, okay, I'm looking for the petite department, which I sometimes do. They'll direct you, go over there, go over there. And then maybe you're looking for the plus size. Okay, maybe you're looking for the men's sportswear department, and they'll direct you. But... What if you ask them, where is the adaptive clothing? And they look at you kind of funny and say, what clothing? Adaptive? What are you talking about? Well, they might not be ready to tell you where it is because they might not either know about it or have any of it, but... This is something you need to pay attention to. Niche fashion houses and major fashion houses are starting to pay attention to the global adaptive clothing market. What's the big deal? There are one billion, I said billion, one billion consumers all over the world who have some kind of disability. And guess what? They want to feel good in their clothes, and they want it to be easy to get dressed, regardless of what their disability. Why is this important? Well, they want to enjoy their lives as much as they can. They want to feel included, and they want to feel stylish. So what's going on? How, when, where, and will the fashion industry adapt itself to adaptive clothing? Big question on the table, and I have a terrific panel here to answer the question, one billion reasons fashion industry needs to adapt, how? That's what we're talking about today. Let me tell you who my very special guests are, and then we'll get started with their opening quotes. This is a show you want to talk about to a lot of people. Mindy Shire is with us. She's the founder of Runway of Dreams Foundation, and the name of her foundation tells you where her heart is and where her head is. We're going to talk to her about why she did this and what she's doing. Molly Kettle is with us. She's the director of Zappos Adaptive. See, I put those two words together, Zappos and Adaptive. They know about this. They're doing this already. That's good news. And we have Matt Lakaitis, and Matt hasn't been with us in a while. He's a returning guest, and Matt is at SAP, and we have a very interesting opening quote from Matt. I'll tell you in a minute. Matt is the senior VP and general manager of SAP's consumer industries practice in North America. So welcome to my special guest. Let's get started. Mindy Shire at Runway of Dreams Foundation has sent us a quote from Sin, that's C-Y-N, the character named Cynthia in Working Girl, the 1988 film. She was played by Joan Cusack. If those of you don't remember the film, 1988 American romantic comedy drama directed by the inimitable Mike Nichols and starring Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver, and Joan Cusack got a best 
Supporting Actress nomination from the Academy Award for, for an Oscar. Didn't win it, but she is certainly uh, noteworthy for that. So let me tell you what the quote is. Everybody, you're going to love this. Sometimes I sing and dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. <laughs> Mindy Shire, how did you expect me to read that without laughing? How are you? <laughs> Thank you, Bonnie. And actually, that was one of the reasons why I, I chose that, because we certainly have to always, you know, go about life with a bit of humor. Um, and I do particularly live my life a little bit by this quote, because I feel that um, trying to do something in the way that somebody else did it doesn't always make it right, or it certainly won't make change happen. And that is very much how um, I lead my life, and certainly with the Foundation Runaway of Dreams. Mindy, I love the quote for so many reasons. First of all, is there anybody better than Joan Cusack? That face, that voice, come on, even over the years, she she just, she she acts and you feel it, right? She brings her characters to life. Absolutely. But I love the idea. <laughs> you know, we talk about voguing. Mindy, you know the song, Vogue, Strike a Pose. <laughs> and you can just see her thinking about running around the house and under. And we all, I think, anybody who remembers the movie, and I certainly do, remembers, I think Melanie Griffith was vacuuming in her underwear. Do you remember that scene? And Absolutely. Yes. And so talking about underwear. But we're not talking about underwear today. We're talking about a lot more. Um, Mindy, just briefly, I'm going to get to what you do later in the show. Show, but just just give us a couple of sentences about I have to get you to share with us right here at the top of the show. What is the Runway of Dreams Foundation and why you're so important to this topic? Why is this important to you? Thank you. So the Runway of Dreams Foundation uh, was established in 2014 with the goal of bridging the gap between the fashion industry and people with disabilities. I know this firsthand because I am a fashion designer by trade and have a child with muscular dystrophy. And the things that certainly I took for granted every day of my life, which is getting dressed, was Mm -hmm. a daily challenge, um, a daily frustration and aggravation for my son. And he just wanted to wear the same things that everybody else got to wear, but couldn't because he couldn't manage buttons and zippers and couldn't fit pants over his leg braces. So I made it my mission to make that change happen because I wasn't singing and dancing in my underwear pretending to be Madonna. I was going to make that change happen in the fashion industry. Bravo. We should do a show about Mother's Day, Mindy, and we need you. Absolutely. <laughs> a little bit late, but it's, I think every day is Mother's Day. Don't you? Of course you do. Mindy, yeah. I'm so, so honored to have you on the show, and I, I'm going to do a shout-out early in the show right now to Stephen Sparrow, my colleague at SAP, for putting together this panel and the topic. He told me I was going to cry during the show, and that's very, very possible. So just bear with me if you hear the tears. and You can hear them. Uh, let's turn, thank you. <laughs> thank you, dear. Let's move around the table. To, I think you and I are both redheads, aren't we? You're redhead too? Yes, we are. Proudly. Yeah, we, we rock. Yeah, very proudly. Um, let's move around the table to Molly Kettle, director at Zappos Adaptive. And Molly has sent us a wonderful quote from Simon Sinek. And Molly, I have to tell you, when I was looking up the bio of Simon Sinek, I realized he was in the same graduating year at Brandeis University with my daughter. So I texted her last night and said, did you know him? 
And she said, I don't think I met him, but I know he was in my class and she's read one of his books. So that was just a nice little personal side note. But Simon Oliver Sinek, born in 1973, British-American author, motivational speaker, organizational consultant. He's only written five books. Uh, They were, starting in 2009, Start With Why? How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Action. And the only one I'll, other one I'll read is 2019. This year he wrote The Infinite Game. I love the title. Here's the quote Molly has selected from Simon Sinek. Working hard for something we don't care about is called stress. Working some, hard for something we love is called passion. One of my favorite words. Molly Kettle, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're delighted. And another shout out to Stephen Sparrow for inviting you to join us on the panel. I know we have a lot to learn. Talk to me about this quote from Simon Sinek. It's so basic and it's so right on the money from my point of view. Molly, what does it mean to you in terms of our topic on fashion industry and adaptive, please? Absolutely. Yeah, it is basic. And I love the anecdote that your daughter went to school with him. I absolutely (laughs) love Simon Sinek. And I think there's a whole bunch of quotes that I could have chosen um, because he starts with the why. And, you know, for us, um, starting with the why is why we feel so passionate about what we do and why what we're doing doesn't really feel like work. It really is just something that we do because we get to see through our customers' eyes the impact of providing options that make it easy to get dressed have on their daily life. So we, we get uh, feedback from customers all the time who write in to say, hey, my daughter uh, just got dressed for the first time in her life, or I was able to put on a shirt which I couldn't do from before. And so it's because of all of those reasons that we feel so passionately as a small team, and um, it doesn't really feel like work. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. I love the juxtaposition, Molly, of the word stress and the word passion. I don't think I would have thought about it that way. Uh, working hard for something we love is passion. I, I think I know already that you're passionate about what you do. Have you always been at Zappos? When did Zappos Adaptive start? Let me start from there. Just a, a brief overview of who you are and what you do. When did this division start? Absolutely. The idea for Zappos Adaptive started almost five years ago, and we launched our site nearly two years ago. So it took a little while for, uh, for it to pick up steam, and it really started all based on a customer phone call um, that pretty much everything we do at Zappos, and Zappos is almost 20 years old, but everything we do kind of goes back to customer service of how do we provide a really great experience for every customer. And everyone at Zappos is very passionate about serving customers, and so we really look at Zappos Adaptive as an extension of customer service. I appreciate that very much. Customer service Oh, if only. That's all I can say. <laughs> not, not about your company, but if only. I deal with it every single day. It just it seems to be getting worse. I don't know, just in my personal experience, but I'm very optimistic. Molly, really pleased to meet you, and thank you for joining us. And now we have one more stop around the table to Matt Lakaitis. And Matt has done what I, I don't think anybody except one other person, Matt, in probably, let's see, 200 live shows a year. I've probably done about 1,800 Game Changer shows for SAP since October 2011, and I don't think anybody has quoted their mom except one other person besides you. So this is, I think this is a gift to your mother, Linda Lakaitis Pecoreri, I believe is her name, and here's the quote. It was so good, Matt, I let you keep it. Usually we look for a book, a movie, a song, a famous person. Well, your mom is famous to you. So here's the quote. Everyone needs to look around themselves and ask, how can I help? 
what can I do? Matt, welcome back. Long time. How have you been? I've been wonderful, thank you. And, uh, you know, apart from this being a powerful quote, which ties in with our topic, my mother is also a redhead, so she fits right in with the theme of the show. (laughs) (laughs) We may need to rename the show Retail Leaders and the Redhead. I don't know. We'll have to talk to Stephen after we're off the air. So tell me, when did your mother say this to you? Why did she say it to you? Was she trying to, was she raising her finger and saying, ah, Matt, you have to ask, how can I help? What can I do? Or was she saying it because you already were? Where does this come from? I need a little background. Well, yeah, this has been something that she's been consistently preaching throughout her life. Certainly, as we all grew up, there was a heavy, heavy dose of service involved in our in our uh, daily upbringing. And this is something that she's really coalesced and amplified in her recent past. She's uh, recently retired and has spent some time working with a homeless group in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, she she's really kind of anchored around this quote as a way to help inspire some of the other volunteers in that organization. But it does speak to passion. And it speaks to the impact that people can have on a daily basis, both in their personal lives and their professional lives. So I think it's a really good call to action. Your mother sounds very inspirational. What did Linda do before she retired, may I ask, Matt? Uh, she, was, uh, she did some work in the medical field. She was uh, uh, an x-ray technician for a period of time before she left to her real avocation, which was uh, a housewife and raising us, raising our family. Well, I have to tell you, you just tied in again to my personal life. My dad was a radiologist in Queens, New York. He's been gone since 95, but he was in radiology way back in the day. I don't know how old Linda is, but back in the day uh, before we had all of this digital technology and fancy equipment, back in the day with the big heavy x-ray machines, you had to pull down over the patient. Your mom either knows about it or she probably has seen books about it. So when he had a trusted technician in his office named Josephine. I don't even know where she is or if she's still alive. But anyway, she was much younger than he was. So anyway, you just brought back another memory. Well, this is, we've got redheads. We've got uh, Simon Sinek, who went to school with my daughter. Uh, We've got Mother's Day, and and we've got uh, x-ray technicians. So I think we're in good shape. You know what? Uh, I'm going to give us an opportunity to get to know our panelists just a little bit better, although we've done part of that already. So Mindy Shire, let's start with you. Number one, where in the world are you calling from today? Number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you to be as smart and passionate and energetic as you are in the runway of dreams and you can tell us a little bit more about your background before you started this mindy absolutely um i'm currently in new york city um and i would say my favorite drink um i think you'll be shocked i'm kidding about this but it is definitely champagne because i think no matter when you drink it it feels like a celebration and I um, definitely have a, a point of reference in my life that you have to have little celebrations every single day, whether it's, wow. it's a big one or a small one. Um, but I think that is, you know, something that I'm, I'm really striving to not only live by myself, but certainly have my family live by that as well. Um, so in terms of my background, I am a fashion designer and by trade I went um, I studied fashion design. I lived in Italy and studied there. I worked in the industry my whole career, um, but never once did I ever hear the word adaptive clothing. I, I had no idea what it was. I really had no idea what even muscular dystrophy was before my son came into my life. Um, and certainly for a multitude of reasons, he has 
been a gift and has brought such joy um, and just incredible um, exposure into into our life. Um, but one of the biggest parts of what he has brought in was realizing that he is one of the billion people um, in our world with a disability. And the most important thing that we like to focus on is that people with disabilities are people first, which means they are consumers, which, they, which means that they have to wear clothing just like everybody else. And they want to perceive, have the world perceive them in a way that clothing can dictate. I mean, I am sitting in a phone booth right now wearing what I think is an amazing white suit that nobody is seeing me in. But it makes me feel really good. It makes me come through this call feeling confident um, and secure in, in who I am and, and what I want to get out there. And everybody deserves to feel that way. I, I love it. And Mindy, you've just spoken so eloquently to my opening quote from Emily Matchar about enclosed cognition. You just explained that, didn't you? The impact clothes yes, have on our, mood, on our mood and our health. I will just give you a little sidebar. I started playing the drums about eight months ago, and I'm known oh, locally here in Durham as the chick drummer in a dress because I don't wear, I, I just for various reasons, I enjoy wearing a dress, and I mostly wear black dress with accessories and maybe a jacket over it. And when I drum, I have to wear tights for obvious reasons because of the foot pedals and everything. But uh, the point is that um, I have created that brand, but in terms of comfort and mood, I feel great when I go out drumming at an open mic Absolutely. night or with a local band. I feel good. And that's my brand. That's my comfort. That's my level of health. It's because I am always going to be the chick drummer in the dress. And that's just the way it is. So maybe that's... I love it. it. Thank you. It's stretching the term adaptive, but I've adapted my wardrobe to, well, I know I wore a scarf one day around my neck and it was getting caught underneath the drumsticks and around my arms. I learned... Don't drum with a scarf, lady, unless you tie it tight and it's not flopping around. It was on top of the snare drum. It was moving. How am I going to drum to Mustang Sally and move the scarf around? Not happening next time. So that's just a loose observation and clothed cognition. Mindy Shire, so happy to have you. Molly Kettle, it's your next turn. Next, where are you in the world? What do you love to drink? And tell us a little bit about more what you did before Zappos Adaptive. Absolutely. So although... Zappos is based in Las Vegas, and that's typically where I work from. This week, I'm actually in Colorado, and it's very cold here. Um, but my mom is out right now with taking the kids, so it's very quiet where I am. Um, so I'm visiting. This is my hometown uh, in Denver, Colorado. And mm-hmm. my favorite drink of choice is a vanilla sweet cream cold brew from Whoa. Starbucks. Tell yeah, me, what is so it? What my, is it? What's so in it? I, I have, have to know. What does it taste I like? I have a Starbucks habit. And yes. so I go to Starbucks probably two or three times a week, and it's really, it's my treat. I treat myself. And, um, you know, some people look at the spend that people do at Starbucks to say, oh, well, if you add it up for a few months or a year, you could be saving hundreds or even thousands of dollars by not spending the $5 on a cup of coffee. But I don't look at it that way. I look at it as when I get that drink, it makes my day. It's like my little treat. Like, I love, Mindy, what you said about your celebrations. Like, it really does make me happy. And so if I can spend $5 a couple times a week to be happy and start my day that way, I think that's a lot less than people spend on doing things that make them happy in general. I think you're right. 
Molly, I looked it up. It says ice, brewed coffee, vanilla, sweet cream. Um, what what do you love about it? Let's see. It says delicate float. Oh, here we go. Just before serving, our slow-steeped custom blend scar- Starbucks cold brew coffee is topped with a delicate float of, ooh, house-made vanilla sweet cream that cascades throughout the cup. Do you actually watch it cascading, Molly? Tell me yes. That's perfect. No, I don't. You know what? I do the, the, call, the order ahead on my app. So I literally walk in, it's waiting for me, and I walk back out. So I don't watch any of the cascading part. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I might need to watch out for that, though. I had, it was just poetic. I had to read that. It. Forgive me. What did you do before joining Zappos, before Zappos Adaptive existed, Molly? Yeah, so my background is in technical consulting. And random side note, when I was uh, consulting with Deloitte Consulting early uh, in my earlier career, um, I actually uh, did some SAP projects. So oh. I go back and yeah, that was a really long time ago. Don't ask me about SAP these days because I won't know. Um, but that's, that's kind of where I started. Yep. And then I joined Zappos just a little over 10 years ago. And um, I, I've kind of historically done a lot of project management, a lot of different project-based work. And throughout my career at Zappos, I've had the good fortune to work on a lot of variety of different things and worked pretty much with every department within Zappos. So I've gotten to know a lot of people, a lot of different processes and ways of working, and um, Zappos has a a unique um, company culture in how it does business. And so I feel like my entire career at Zappos has prepared me for what I'm doing with Zappos Adaptive. And I uh, joined the Zappos Adaptive team a little over two and a half, almost three years ago, and um, I was kind of able to use everything that I've done in my career and through my experience at Zappos to be able to help uh, make it become a reality with a very strong team that I work with. Thank you, Molly. Isn't that what we talked about in your quote, the difference between stress and passion, doing what you love to do? Isn't, didn't you just explain that in real terms as to what you, you know, do in your profession? It's true, life? and I feel so fortunate that uh, not many people get to say that they really do love what they do, and so I feel very, very lucky to be able to do what well, I do. We're, we're lucky to hear you tell us about it. Thank you. And now, Matt Lakaitis, tell us, where are you? What's your favorite drink? And what's new with you at SAP? It's been a while. Uh, it has been a while. Um, a lot of things have stayed the same. So I'm calling from an airport lounge in a conference room at the airport in Seattle, which is my hometown, getting ready to head out <clears throat> on another quick trip. And uh, my favorite drink remains consistent. It is uh, a Manhattan with bourbon. And I've really been experimenting both having different types of bourbon as I travel in the Manhattan as well as trying to make the perfect Manhattan at home, which is a constant struggle for me, but something I also enjoy doing. (laughs) Is it a passion or is it stressful? I have to ask you. Uh, I'd say it's still on the passion side. And when it becomes stressful, (laughs) then I'll just move on to something else that I'll find another passion for. Now, I looked it up. You said a Manhattan cocktail, right, Matt? Yes. Yes. Okay, so actually the Manhattan cocktail, the word Manhattan has your name in it, M-A-T-T, is scattered throughout the letters, just thought I'd tell you that. Manhattan cocktail is made with whiskey, sweet vermouth, and bitters, while rye is the traditional whiskey of choice. Other commonly used include Canadian whiskey, bourbon, blended whiskey, and Tennessee. Do you have a preference on yours? I I prefer bourbon, and uh, there's a lot of great bourbon choices uh, here in the U.S. as well, but I've been gravitating towards a brand called Basil Hayden lately, which is uh, quite delicious in the Manhattan. Thank you. And you garnish it with a maraschino cherry, of course, right? Yes. 
Okay, just want to make sure you're passionate about the real deal, the real Manhattan. Thank you. Now tell us what you've been doing. So I've been doing the same, uh, the same thing, which is really helping uh, all of our customers on the SAP side in the consumer industries. So all branded companies that are trying to stay relevant and have a great uh, experience with their own customers, the ever-changing consumer out there. Uh, I've been leading the group that's focused on those efforts and making those customers successful, which I've been here at SAP for 15 years, and it's been an incredibly satisfying uh, organization to be part of. And certainly we love elevating the great brands that we get to work with, including people like Molly and Zappos Adaptive, uh, and others. It's just been a really rewarding part of my career. Thank you very much. Good to hear it. I'm glad we have so much passion on the panel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I've been, I'm the creator, producer, and host of all, all things Game Changers, I like to think. We have 43 series in total. I think we have 13 live this year. Usually do about 200 live shows a year. And yes, I'm still passionate about my job. And if you ask me why, it's because I love talking to really, really smart, passionate people like Mindy Shire at the Runway of Dreams Foundation, Molly Kettle at Zappos Adaptive, and Matt Lakaitis at SAP. What am I drinking? Well, not too surprising. Today is a doubleheader. Already did a live show at 11 this morning, Eastern Time. This is my second show. So, Mindy and Molly, this is news to you, but Matt knows the question I'm going to ask. Why don't they let me have anything with caffeine in it on radio show days? I think you figured it out. So all I'm allowed to have is water. That's all I've got is cool, clear water in a mug with a straw. And I recently learned about how plastic straws are doing horrible things gunking up our waterways all over the world. So I have switched to paper straws. They're three times the price, half the size of the box. But I'm committed to saving the planet in my own little tiny way by switching to paper straws. So there you go. That's my contribution. If you're just tuning in, we have a big shout out to Stephen Sparrow at SAP who worked hard to bring this wonderful topic. We're talking today about one billion reasons. That's right, one billion. The fashion industry needs to adapt to what? To adaptive clothing. We're going to take a 90-second break and find out when we come back. What technology has to do with this, what industries need to do, whether manufacturers in the clothing industry have what it takes to already convert to producing adaptive, what's in it for them, is there anything in it? We think the answer is yes. And how long will it be before more brands adopt adaptive? Oh, I like the way that sounds. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, however you're listening to us. Please stick around. We've got so much more. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Seismic shifts occurring across all consumer-facing industries are driving traditional retailers and brands to radically rethink their business models. A new breed of leaders is emerging who have the courage, conscience, and creativity to champion innovation in their organizations. Game-Changing Retail Leaders brings you insights from these radical change agents who anticipate the future, recognize macro trends, and snap their companies out of the past. They drive fundamental strategic and structural transformations within their organizations to create new business models. They innovate game-changing partnerships, 
cultural shifts, sustainability strategies and technologies to create new consumer value propositions. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear from retail leaders who are driving radical innovation and transformative change within their companies to evolve their strategy on customer engagement and the overall customer experience. Game-changing retail leaders presented by SAP. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Listening to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Retail Leaders. Yes, indeed, we're back and we're talking about a very, very important topic. We're talking about 1 billion reasons for what? For why the fashion industry needs to adapt to adaptive clothing. Everybody has the right to wear things that make them feel good, that make them feel happy and healthy, and make them feel fashionable and included. They may not be able to put their clothes on exactly the way many of us do, but there are 1 billion people around the world who need different types of clothing in order to achieve that on a daily basis. So, so we're talking about today. We have Mindy Shire, the founder of Runway of Dreams Foundation. We have Molly Kettle at Zappos Adaptive, and we have Matt Lakaitis at SAP. We're going to start the roundtable discussion off with some notes Mindy Shire sent me, and we're going to segue into the process of taking a standard or a normal or a usual or a general manufacturing process and working it into being able to create predictive, uh, uh, adaptive, excuse me, predicting how you can create adaptive. So we're going to start with this statement, Mindy. In 2016, Runway of Dreams partnered with Tommy Hilfiger to make fashion history by launching the first ever mainstream adaptive clothing line. Let's talk about how that happens in terms of production. Mindy, talk to me, please. Absolutely. So when I uh, made the decision that I wanted to change the fashion industry, I needed to really know what I was talking about. So prior to 2016, I took the entire year of 15 and did research um, because I needed to really understand the vastly different disabilities as it relates to clothing challenges so that we could help modify mainstream clothing to be wearable by this population. And I had a guiding principle, and that was somewhere, someday, somebody made a baseball hat adjustable so that it could fit so many different heads. And I took that as my guide to be able to take what already exists, not recreate the wheel, and just modify it. So during that year of research, I was able to extrapolate that there were really three categories that were affected across the board by vastly Mm -hmm. different disabilities and clothing. The first was the closure. So buttons, snaps, zippers, hook and eyes were a great challenge for both physically and cognitive disabilities. So how can we change that? Well, we do have technologies that have actually been around for centuries, one of which is the magnet. And just by putting a magnet behind a button so that it looks exactly like the typical shirt that's much Mm -hmm. easier to open and close was Hmm. a very easy way to make closures more 
manageable for people with disabilities. The second category is adjustability. So button, uh, so sleeve length, pant length, waistbands, having them be adjustable to be able to fit different shaped bodies made, mm. again, the product more wearable. The third category is alternate ways to get in and out of the clothing. So, for example, putting something over your head, if you are missing limbs, if you have low muscle tone like my son does, it is mm-hmm. a very challenging task. And actually, one of the most challenging categories that, that, that this came out of was the part of the population that has to be dressed 100% of the time. Think about trying to put a shirt on somebody's head who cannot dress themselves and manipulating arms through the armholes and the head through the neck hole is a very challenging process. So by just opening up the shirt in the back as opposed to having to force it over your head and through armholes makes it a much easier process while still maintaining the same look at the product. And that was very, very important uh, to us and myself when developing these modifications that the clothing needed to be unidentifiable in terms of that there were changes to it to make it easier for this population, but it looked exactly like what everybody else wears. And when we did the partnership with Tommy, my goal was to, to really start the industry in understanding that if I could do this, sitting at my kitchen table, they for sure could do it and do it better and come up with even more advanced technologies to make these modifications easier so that everybody can wear the same things as everybody else. And I am thrilled to say that, you know, being able to work with amazing people like Molly and her team at Zappos Adaptive, we are really making change happen in the industry as evidenced by all the new brands that are on Zappos Adaptive that are really taking these modifications and technology improvements to heart. Thank you very much. Wonderful. And I'm glad you defined it and described it, as you said, Mindy. It seems so simple to be able to make the changes, but the industry needed a visionary like you who was in the industry and knew what to do. I was so intrigued by your statement. I don't want to dwell on it, but you said you set out to change the fashion industry. And that's like, okay, I see Mindy with her red hair, beautiful Mindy knocking on a door and saying, hello, fashion icons who've been around for decades. I'm going to change everything about what you do. I'm Mindy. Hear me roar. I I can see it. I can actually. I can see it, and I, I love it. So happy you did that. Molly Kettle, you have to join us. Talk about the process. How easy or hard is it? Whatever you want to comment on that Mindy shared with us about how Zappos approaches this process. Molly? Absolutely, yeah. So the Zappos perspective is that we're a retailer, so we're not creating our own line of clothing and footwear. So we are a platform that brings together products that brands create, like Tommy Hilfiger. Uh, We do carry the Tommy Adaptive line, and we bring it onto our website so that people who have different kind of needs can find it. Um, And so one of the challenges in terms of these brands who spend the time and spend the R&D and create all of these different innovations, it can cost, you know, it takes time and it can cost more money to spend 
on the magnets on, and on different things. And so um, we applaud Tommy Hilfiger because they've been able to do it in a way where they take their flagship line and have made all of these very subtle innovations, like Manu saying, like you can't really tell that they're any different than their typical line, and um, made it really affordable for people to buy uh, so that people have options. You know, people can come to the site and say, look, I want, I want to buy the really cool Tommy Hilfiger clothing, and I can choose if I want the clothing that has buttons or it has the magnetic closures. Um, and one other example to share on this is that Nike has um, come up with a line of shoes called the Fly Ease. And mm. what they've done is they've taken some of their um, top-selling shoes, running shoes, basketball shoes, and they've adapted them to have a very unique closure that has a Velcro across the top and zips all the way in the back so that people can put in their foot completely unobstructed. So this can work for people that wear braces on their feet or have a hard time bending their ankle um, and are really cool Nike shoes. And so one of the things that they did is that the price point for those shoes is exactly the same if you bought the non-Fly Ease counterpart. So you can buy the Revolution 4 shoe, and if you want it with the laces or you want it with the unique closure, it costs exactly the same. So, um, you know, that is incredible to me. And we see it, like some of the smaller brands, it's, it's a little bit tougher to kind of create the price points that uh, will work for them to to have it work as a business, um, but uh, we we definitely applaud Tommy Hilfiger and Nike for for being able to do that at scale. I'm impressed. I'm really really impressed. You said it's it's the pricing is the same. That means it is inclusive, right, Molly? It's not you have to go out and get a second mortgage on your house in order to be able to avoid afford the clothing that will work for your body type, your disability, whatever it is, that you're part of it. That, and I think that's why Mindy was talking about mainstream. Very, very impressive. Matt Lakatis, wow. Talk to me. Anything, any thoughts on the manufacturing process, the inclusivity of what Mindy and Molly are talking about? What's your observation? Well, I think the, the most important thing to emphasize is that these great brands and even some of the younger brands that we're seeing embrace this movement, such as Billy Footwear and others, um, they're experts in making products, right? So they know how to source, how to buy, how to assemble, how to predict what their the demand is going to be for their products, and they're experts in making them. So it's not hard for them to do the manufacturing. They just need help in understanding how best to adapt the mainstream uh, the, the branded clothing and the looks to the adaptive need. So all the things that Mindy and Molly talked about, they know how to do that. They just need help in understanding what they can do to help and how they can add more products to the mix. And then the second thing is each one of these brands that we've had the great privilege of working with on this mission have found that there's an incredible business case behind this. So not only does it, does it make them feel good and, and contributing to the mission but once they do that, there's actually a great business case here because of the demand for this type of clothing. For all the reasons we talked about already on, on the show, it really mm-hmm. does make great business sense for them to do this. They just need a little help in understanding what the opportunity is and then how to take advantage of it. But it's not hard. Thank you. Matt, that turns out to be a great segue for where I want to go next. Mindy, I'm going to jump ahead to some statements here in Molly Kettle's list because I think we have a, a great point from where we just finished talking about on your, your concept to something that Molly said. Molly, your notes say where to start. I think that's what Matt was just talking about. If brands are looking to enter the adaptive clothing space, we encourage them to look at their culture 
first. How does the company think about people with disabilities? Is there support? Is there awareness already in place? Or do they need to start the learning journey? Molly, words of wisdom, obviously, from you. Can you tell us a little bit more about this, please? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've had different brands reach out to us and uh, any advice that we might give to somebody who's looking at this market and looking at, th- at the opportunity, like Matt's saying, like there is a, a business case here. But it really, going back to Simon Sinek, it starts with the why and it starts with the culture. And, you know, from a Zappos perspective, we've had 20 years of building a culture that focuses squarely on customers first, putting people first. And so if a company has a culture where they're already inclusive of people with disabilities, if they're already having conversations about that, if they're looking at their customers and their different market segments and they're including customers with disabilities, then they already have a leg up. But if they haven't started that journey, then it's really kind of asking that question. Um, We're having brands reach out to us now saying, well, I haven't really looked at our assortment that way. Maybe these shoes could actually work for people with disabilities. Does it? And so you know, we're starting to have those kind of conversations. And so just by them asking the question and looking at it to say, is there opportunity here? Uh, we're very early in the process. Um, that, that's a great place to start. And then really it's just awareness and education. So the more and more that we talk about this, and thanks to having this show to raise more awareness, then the more it's okay to ask the questions, the more it's to look at your customers. And they're ready to give their opinions, I can assure you. We hear from a lot of customers. It's just a matter of making a safe space for them to ask, to have their needs heard, because sometimes they just didn't know to ask that they could ask for alterations to clothing or that there could be options that are mainstream. Very, very interesting. Thank you very much. I I like the idea of looking at the company culture, and that may be the biggest roadblock to getting them in. Matt, you're next sitting next to Molly. Thoughts about what she said? I think it's a great starting point. What do you think? Uh, Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's it's certainly a great starting point. I think the culture is really an important aspect of it, and it's something that once people are made aware of the opportunity, I think they can intuitively understand it at the personal level, And it's the conversation about taking that personal understanding and translating that to the business world. And the good news is there's research on both both those points, right? So we all know and experience when we help someone in our personal lives, the feeling of uh, endorphins and feeling good about themselves, that, that happens as a result of that. So as we go about our daily work, we can have that same kind of impact. And companies really have the opportunity today to focus on that impact as they carry out that corporate mission, and there's great benefits to doing so. So a couple quick studies just to provide to you. In 2006, a study was done by the National Institutes of Health by George Moyle and his friends, and they showed that giving to charities activates regions of the brain that are associated with pleasure, social connection, and trust. So that really reemphasizes that doing good helps you feel good and stay connected, and then at the business level, there's been some research at Harvard with Rosabeth Moss Cantor, who's a renowned professor. Mm-hmm. She studied high-performing organizations all across the globe to understand if there's a correlation between their financial performance and their social values. And what she's found is really, really interesting. She's found that the businesses that are agile, that are keeping ahead of the curve in terms of market changes and customer needs and outperforming their peers are the businesses that are also progressive, socially responsible human communities. And she found three key benefits. The first is all of these companies have a strong synergy between their financial performance and how they treat and attend to the community and the social needs. They actually derive a unique competitive advantage from embracing their values 
and they also attained growth opportunities that resulted from stressing those values and building that into their business plans. And she actually wrote a book called Supercorp to share examples across all industries. And when you take a look at what's actually happening, what the research is, what the anecdotes are for people that have embraced this mission, it's a tremendous opportunity for all consumer-branded companies to hop on the train and get behind the momentum and really help people by doing great in their community. Thank you, Matt. Very interesting. I see this in your notes, and I know we were going to get to it. I'm glad you brought it up now. And on the question of social connection in the parts of the brain where that is, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I looked up something as simple as social connection, and it has its own Wikipedia page. No surprise. Social connection is the experience of feeling close and connected to others. It involves feeling loved. I think, Mindy, this will resonate with you and your family, feeling loved, cared for, and valued, and forms the basis of interpersonal relationships. And I have a quote here from Brene Brown, who is professor of social work at University of Houston. Connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. Very, very interesting. And of course, there's a whole thing about the parts of the brain where this is, uh, we're talking about the hierarchy of needs from Abraham Maslow. This is a huge, absolutely huge topic. Thank you for that, Matt. Speaking of Molly, um, uh, Mindy first. Mindy, you're sitting next to Matt around our virtual table. So Mindy Shire at, at the Foundation of uh, Runway of Dreams. Thoughts about what Matt just shared? And we're still talking about the idea of company culture getting in on the adaptive industry. Mindy, thoughts, please? Absolutely. I think that there's um, a, a parallel path that could also be taken with this. And that is something that um, we believe really strongly in, that there isn't a designer out there that can really designed for people with disabilities without including people with disabilities in the process. From product development to the marketing and advertising to actually the the target marketing aspect of it. And that is very similar to, you know, what we all probably learned in in school about understanding your, your target market. And I think a big piece of this is what Molly and Matt, I believe, also honed in on was the, the education of this. And, yes, we can read, you know, amazing reports, and there's been such unbelievable research done at the university level, but the most important research or information that you're going to get is from the people themselves. So a great example, uh, kind of hinging off of this wonderful uh, runway show we did in Vegas with Zappos Adaptive uh, a month or so ago is now brands that were in the audience and saw what we were doing with this show um, have subsequently also reached out um, to us and we've had focus groups with people with disabilities directly with their design teams so that they could really see, hear, understand what the challenges are, how they can make it better, how they can modify their products. So I firmly believe with everything that Molly and Matt talked, talk, spoke about, it's really also going to the people. And as Molly said, they are very vocal. They, they want to be heard. They have opinions. They want to be a part of this mainstream conversation. I like the word mainstream. We keep getting it in there, and it, it keeps uh, pulling on the heartstrings. Yes, mainstream is important. Molly, this was your topic. Anything you want to wrap it up? We're almost ready for our predictions round, and I'm comfortable with that because Matt has already pulled up his reference to uh, Rosabeth Moss Cantor, so we got one of your good statements in here. Molly, anything you want to add to that before we move on? 
Uh, yeah, I'll just add one quick thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of all the research, so one thing that we do to kind of make it very tangible, to tie together what Mindy was saying about, you know, talking to people and getting involved, at Zappos Adaptive, we're a pretty small team, and we're very grassroots. So we reach out to local communities. We reach out to people with disabilities. We have focus groups, surveys. We're constantly reaching out and talking. And one example is, like, we go to the Abilities Expo. It's a consumer-facing expo. There's about... 10 or so that happen annually across the United States, and it's an expo for people with disabilities, and we end up talking to uh, thousands of people with disabilities, and we showcase our product, and we talk to them, and we ask them questions, and, you know, we went to one last year, and we learned that the parents actually wanted to come in and try on the shoes, and so the next one we went to, we brought a size run of uh, the Billy footwear, and we saw parents... Uh, and families coming in to try on these shoes that are incredible, and they were able to fit over the braces on 99% of the the kids' shoes. And so, you know, from a learning standpoint, we do a lot of these very grassroots things that, that, you know, it's important to have the research and to have the the macro numbers of what we're doing, but we're also very much involved in talking to people to understand what those needs are. Thank you very much, Molly. Matt, I'm going to let you go first on the predictions round, just because you're sitting next to Molly, and we didn't formally get to your part of the roundtable, although you were a great contributor. So, Matt Lakaitis, I'm ready for you. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. We'll give Mindy and Molly a chance to gather their thoughts. Matt, what do you see coming, I like to say, up the pike, down the road, or, or the reverse? I always get the directions mixed up. Luckily, I have GPS in my car. Matt, what do you see coming in the near future, in the field? of adaptive, whether it's other brands, whether it's inventions, whether it's a new style of clothing mainstream hasn't seen yet. What do you, what do you predict? Matt Lakaitis, 60 seconds. Well, I think you're going to see two things. I, I think you're going to see um, a lot more brands embrace the concept and start serving the community in better ways than they are currently. And that's going to be really exciting because everyone can participate in this new opportunity and drive not only great business results, but also great service to the community. And the second is I think you're going to see uh, the rise of passionate, smaller, nimbler companies that are serving a particular part of the market. We've mentioned Billy Footwear a few times. They're a tremendous company with a great mission and great products. You're going to see more companies like that grow very quickly to take advantage of the market. And the end result of all of those trends are going to be that people in a few years are not even going to think about adaptive clothing as different. It's just going to be another size, like you started off talking about the show, another option uh, or another style for that great product. So they're going to get the experience of feeling that great brand. It's going to make them feel great about themselves. And people in general are going to start just accepting this as a very natural part of the market, just like they've done with other sizes in the past. It's going to be a tremendous thing to see, and it's a very exciting time to be part of this business. Definitely exciting. Thank you. Mindy Shire, you're up. 60 seconds, that's all I've got. What do you want to predict for us, please? Let's make it a really, really good one. Uh, I have a lofty prediction. Um, I think with the uh, statistic of 20% of an increase of disabilities in the millennial uh, demographic, I think that someday there will be a mandate that a certain percentage of clothing and footwear and accessories has to be adaptive to be able to uh, have what could potentially become a majority in our world of all different types of disabilities. And I think with the millennial population uh, behind this and living it, 
I, I really think we're going to see an important um, change similar to what Matt said. I think it will be another fit in the market, but I see it being even more than that, that it will, it will be a have to to have product for people with disabilities. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Molly Kettle, I say, Molly, I have a surprise for you. You get 90 seconds because Mindy and Matt were so concise. So use your 90 seconds well. What would you like to predict, Molly Kettle? All right. Well, I also expect that we'll see more and more brands in this space. And I'm hoping that the conversation changes from talking about unmet needs that will go well beyond that and will have a vast offering that will meet a variety of needs in a lot of different lifestyles, but also that inclusion breeds innovation and that because companies are going to be incorporating different needs, looking at products differently, I think that they'll come up with some universal designs that will really apply to everybody. And I think that it would be great to see the conversation change to products in this space creating trends and creating things that a lot of different people want to wear simply because they're fashionable, they're cool, and they're easy to put on. We've seen this already with Billy's Footwear, which has a really cool kid's shoe with a wraparound zipper, and we see kids buying them all the time, uh, either kids with disabilities or kids without disabilities, just because it's a cool shoe and it's easy to put on. Thank you. I like you said it's a cool shoe. Don't we all want that? I have to tell you, when sometimes when you get a little bit older, of course, I'm not talking about me, and your feet change shape after years of wearing high heels and all kinds of interesting shoes, and you want something that's really cool and fashionable, and all you can find is kind of cute winter boots, but you got to wear them all summer long because you really aren't comfortable in sandals or clothes shoes. I think we need adaptive for uh, women who spent a lifetime wearing high heels. Mindy, can we work on it? What do you think? I'm I, on I, it. I'm I know on you it. are. I'm available I, from 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. I got it. I was going to ask if you ever sleep. I don't either. Don't worry about it. I have a prediction I want to share with these three panelists. You have all been so wonderful and informative and generous with your time and really smart about this topic. So my prediction is that, write this down, Matt, Molly, and Mindy, on June 12th, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern to 12 noon Eastern, right here on the Business Channel, the three of you are going to join me on my brand new series, Technology Revolution, The Future of Now. And we're going to, it's a completely different format. We just previewed it today. We did a prequel. You're going to talk to me about, you're going to come up with your top three trends and predictions. We're going to go around the table. We'll add a fourth expert. You'll help me get a fourth panelist who wasn't on today. And we're going to talk about technology and adaptive clothing. And we're going to talk, talk, talk about every all the wonderful work the three of you are doing. So I'll send you an invitation. My prediction is you're all going to say yes, of course. And we're going to continue the <laughs> conversation. Maybe we'll get Stephen Sparrow to come on. Who knows? So it's time to end this party. I want to say thank you very much again to Stephen Sparrow. Yeah, did yourself on this one, Stephen. Beautiful job. Uh, shout out to Aaron at World Talk Radio for getting us on the business channel and keeping us there. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Well, is it an adaptive seatbelt? Does it fit you? Can you do it? I don't know. Maybe we need a new seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Mindy Shire at the Runway of Dreams Foundation. Just like Molly Kettle at Zappos Adaptive. And just like Matt Lakaitis and his mom, Linda, at SAP. She's not at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off. We'll be back with so much more. Just keep listening to the Business Channel. Bye-bye. Thank 
Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. 